What is a sexier monster for you? Vampire or werewolf? Ooh. Um, that's a really good question. Like, which of the cryptids is the sexiest cryptid? I guess, yeah. Um, clearly, vampire is the correct choice. Yeah. You know they love to suck, so that's built in. <laughs> um, and there's always something just very sexual about vampires. I don't think werewolves tend to be tremendously sexual. Well, they're so hairy. I feel like this movie, though, kind of counteracts what I thought about werewolves. There were, and we'll get into it later, but some sexy werewolf scenes in this. Yeah, like sex was a big part of the werewolfish ritual, it seemed like. In but this. was that more the societal uh, sort of um, ethos of the colony itself, where they're like, it's kind of a free love, sort of like a hippie-ish thing like that? Maybe, yeah. Maybe other werewolves are more like, I don't know. Buttoned down and conservative? Yeah, maybe yeah. they don't have the same kind of yeah. standards, but it felt like in this one, for sure, werewolves were down to f- They sure were. Just howling away with every climax. Just like in Teen Wolf. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Welcome to Bad Movies. I wondered if you were going to bring up Teen Wolf. I wondered where that was coming up. But yes, definitely. Welcome to Bad Movies and Beer. I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And we are back from our mid-season break. And we are kicking things off with a pretty well-regarded 80s horror. Although, this thing's got like a 6.4 rating on IMDb. Its Metascore is like 68. Like, you know, it did okay when it came out. It's held in some high regard, but I don't feel bad about having this in the podcast. We're talking about The Howling today. Ooh. Yeah. My first time watching it, um, 1981, so uh, predates us by a little bit here. Famous director, though? Joe Dante, director of Gremlins and Gremlins 2, The New Batch, and The Burbs. Yeah, movie, Tom Hanks movie, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah I remember watching that quite a bit growing up and uh, appreciating it. A wedding it? Uh, appreciating it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe we need to start talking about the beer as I can't get I words out of say, my mouth. Yeah, he's yes. from the Roger Corman directorial tree. He started things out there, uh, you know, where a lot of guys at James Cameron and others got some practical experience for directing films of their own. And, uh, you know, after directing such classics as Piranha, <laughs> he uh, moved on to that. I don't know. <laughs> um, those kind of ideas are cool, though. I, I Is there a lot of that left anymore? Are there places where people get experience kind of creating these more niche movies and then get into Hollywood? Or Not how to the same happen? extent. Yeah. Business has changed, man. Business has oh, changed. I but know, uh, thank God here. for these times. This is why we do this. We go back and we visit the times when anything was possible. And what was possible in this movie was a couple of werewolves f***ing. <laughs> <laughs> sexy werewolf scenes, man. I'm telling yeah, you. Yeah, it was. And that's going to connect us right into our beer here. I don't know about right into, but... Well, I mean, this movie, The Howling, is all about werewolves. And here we've got the Wolf King Imperial Stout. Yeah, every week we match up a beer with the movie we're watching. And this is, I think, pretty appropriate. Yeah, this is from the Rusty Rail Brewing Company. Another Pennsylvania brewery. Again, Pittsburgh, my second home. Mentioned this in our bonus episode, Pumping Iron. If you didn't check that one out over our break, you should definitely go find it. Good time. But yeah, I mean, I spent some time in Pennsylvania. I was trying to grab stuff. And this is one of the more popular Pennsylvania craft brewers. Yeah, it's from Mifflinburg, Pennsylvania. I kept getting it confused and saying Milfingburg, but I think they wouldn't appreciate that. <laughs> You're thinking of that lady from this movie? Yeah, I think so. Um, <laughs> what was her name? Uh, Sasha? or <laughs> Mar- Marsha or Karen Marcia, White? Which Marcia. one? I think Marsha was the... Warrior uh, Speed? Well, I don't know. Maybe she was a Milf. Maybe she wasn't, but... Uh, She's a wilf. <laughs> a wolf? Wolf, I'd like to... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, that's a different kind of wolf, werewolf go. movie. Yeah. I wonder if there's a porn version of this somewhere. <laughs> um, so this brewery. The holing? <laughs> I like how this is starting out already. We're, <laughs> we're, we're already off the rails. We're coming in hot here. Welcome back to the second half yeah. of our third season. We're ready to bring you the fun. And... This beer, also looking forward to it. High ABV, though. We're going in with <laughs> yeah. 8.2. Hey, now. Uh, I love a stout, and coffee and oatmeal are kind of like the typical ingredients. This brewery touts itself as sort of like an everyman's brewery. Fuck yes. Yeah, they definitely made it sound like that. But then looking at their beer choices, there are a lot of heavily hopped and a lot of imperial beers here. I think that they're touting themselves this way because that's kind of the spirit of Pennsylvania. But they're willing to push the limits here and create some pretty cool beers. So I think this is kind of like the perfect meeting place for two of us. Your ethos and my palate. This is going to be really fun. God damn it. What a ridiculous sentence. All right. Well, tell, well what, what's, what do you, you want to tell more about the beer? Is that it? Well, I, I don't know a lot about it. It's just an Imperial Stout with coffee and oatmeal. We're going to have more to say about it when we open it up yeah. and get a good taste we'll of just, it. Yeah, let's let's find out right now where this meets, if this meets is halfway or not. So after the Avco Embassy logo, we get some sweet wolf scratch animations that make the title of the movie, The Howling, and the screen shatters. We then get some scrambled TV graphics and audio of people talking about the gift and victims and all kinds of things that let us know that there's something supernatural and spooky going on. Yeah, it, the glass shatter synth intro definitely sets the tone here. We then cut to a sort of news interview with a doctor who's very forward with his let's go back to some animal instincts kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't know if he's a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but he does mention animal magnetism and how repressing our primal instincts is bad. While this is happening, we also get some shots of a clearly disturbed person in a dingy apartment with newspaper clippings on the wall about some kind of killer who's on the loose. And from there, we meet our main character, Karen White, who is walking the mean city streets with a wire on, hoping to catch the attention of this killer who we learn has contacted her. So we are just right into this thing early. Yeah, so we go from this sort of quick newscast to uh, trying to set the bait. We find out quickly his name is Eddie, and he's been slashing people all over. And in fact, those attacks have been pretty animalistic. Eddie the Mangler, they're calling him. Yes, and so... We see her walking the streets. We're getting these shots of the police department and sort of their tech crew having trouble keeping good track of her. They're kind of losing that signal. Well, it was the late 70s, early 80s. This equipment was not exactly airtight, right? It's not like people are walking around with cell phones. No, it's true. She heads over to a payphone, and we see this big smiley face sticker. Um, the phone calls, and it's Eddie, and he gives her further instructions to meet her at a porn place <laughs> yeah well while she's waiting for this call to come through we spend some time back at the station where we meet karen's co-workers and her husband bill neal karen uses her maiden name and when her husband first showed up i was like oh shit is that tom atkins but sadly <laughs> it is not just a poor man's version similar mustache and hairstyle uh, either way bill is understandably concerned about his wife being used as bait and after receiving a call from the killer like you mentioned Things do seem to go a bit sideways. They lose contact with her, so she's basically out in the wind. We haven't lost her, though. In fact, we get treated to a series of very smoky and dramatic close-ups. They're definitely trying to set the mood or sort of set a tone of franticness with all of these very close pictures. 
through all the close-ups, she makes her way through these sort of seedy streets, and we're getting all the signs uh, in the background, and she goes into what I assume is like a porno booth place. It's that late 70s, early 80s kind of porn shop where they do show movies, and guys can out in the little booth yeah i wonder how sticky or gross those must be it's probably pretty awful in there um, well, did you catch the name of this place it's right there in the name no and it's called the <laughs> palace Is that not the, no. <laughs> that's awesome the manager or the person working at the <laughs> palace looks a little <laughs> bit weirded out by <laughs> clear, uh, it's not the actual name of the place <laughs> yeah. looks a little weirded out by her coming in She's yeah in his not, words some broad coming in there drove all the customers away yeah. you should have kicked her out yeah not the usual clientele but she goes in she heads into the booth and she's not there long before we hear something rustle behind her Yes, this is the assigned meeting place, and Eddie, that's the killer, is already in there waiting for her. He emerges from the shadows, puts his hands on her shoulders, and is speaking in basically the most melodramatic way possible. The The high drama in this movie really surprised me in a lot of cases. Yeah, you thought the way that they played it was beyond what you were going to see? It's like a soap opera, just with werewolves. <laughs> I think that's called Twilight. That's fair. But suddenly, his voice changes, and although we don't get to see him, it sure seems like he underwent some kind of transformation. Ooh. Yeah, they are doing the classic horror thing where they're not showing too much early. Often this was done in the past because it would be too hard to make a realistic sort of costume or transformation. And I'm wondering whether that's going to be the case in this movie. And we're going to find out as we move through. But it also adds a bit of tension not knowing what that scariness is. We kind of had some of that in our Black Christmas episode. Yeah, you get the reaction of the person who sees it and you're left to wonder and imagine what it might be. To your point, sometimes this is done to avoid having to show the practical effects. And we do see what he looks like later on. Um, all I could think of in this sequence next view, though, is that Joe Dante loves the fucking close-up shots. <laughs> like, in the aftermath of this, all we see is people's faces. They fill up the entire screen. There's an excessive amount of them in the first little bit of this movie. I definitely noted it a few times. I feel like it gets less overdone as the movie goes on. But at the start here, they spend way too much time on close-ups. While this sort of episode's happening, while the creature is transforming behind her, we are also following two cops who are supposed to be trying to keep track of our person here, Karen. And one of them decides to open fire on the closed door in which well, he hears Karen the is. screams from Karen. He hears some strange noises. And yeah, he a little quick on the draw. That would not fly. It really doesn't fly back then either. They kind of have to interrogate him about it. But yeah, he throws some shots in there. And, and, Luckily for him, he takes out the murderer Eddie character, and our actress is sort of unharmed, at least physically, psychologically. She's going to be going through some stuff for a while here. Oh, my God, and that is what we see next. Time passes, and in the next scene, she's napping on the couch, but this is anything but pleasant. We quickly learn two things. First, that she is haunted by the memory of what happened in that room. And second, that the director did not rein her in even a little bit on the acting here. <laughs> she is just full speed ahead, chewing the scenery. She wakes up and is like dialed up to 11. Yeah, this is probably, I would say, the most overacted scene in the entire movie. Oh, I would, yes, agree with that 100%. Yeah, yeah. there's definitely just her putting too much into how traumatized she was by this. It didn't seem like in that room she was ever in physical 
danger. I mean, there was a werewolf transforming in front of her, but she, we never got to a moment in there where I thought, like, she was going to get murdered. I actually felt that it was more likely he was going to try to, like, have sex with her in this thing than he was going to murder her. Not that that is okay either, but... <laughs> It is not. I, to be fair, I think the fucking porn footage they were showing in that booth was more like disturbing than what she was going through. Yeah, it was definitely a unconsensual act. It seemed like happening in that booth that they were watching. Well, but that's probably just staged, right? Well, to, yes, I would assume they. It wasn't would a fucking snuff film. film. <laughs> oh no. my god! Yeah, thankfully it wasn't eight millimeter, but uh, but I guess they had to set that up so that we could have our next section where she meets with our famous doctor. Yes. Now, before that happens, though, we see a couple of reporters. They maneuver their way into the killer's place. In addition to a low-grade jump scare when a dog jumps into frame, they find an extremely large number of werewolf sketches. I wonder if that's going to come into play later on. Yeah, I wonder why this person has drawn so many pictures of people with full facial hair, including females. There's also a beautiful drawing of a coastline. That's a beautiful landscape. I'm sure we won't see that again. Meanwhile, we find that Karen White is still struggling to deal with her experience in that porno hut as she freaks out when her husband tries to make sweet, sweet love to her. No. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I guess I'm just not quite ready yet. And I love how he's like, that's okay, take your time. Then immediately rolls over and goes to sleep. Like, immediately, I laughed out loud here. He doesn't even try we're, for we're a not, second We're not chance. doing this? Okay, good night. He's yeah, like, fuck out. you, I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is the only reason we're in bed together. Uh, we're going to see that their relationship gets tested moving forward. It seems like it's a little bit shaky here. Yeah, oh my God, undeniably so. And this trauma is also bleeding over into Karen's professional life, as in what we can assume is her first time being back on camera after the event, she completely freezes up when she sees the camera come on. So this is clearly still weighing on her. Uh, either that or she's pregnant. I don't know which one it is. Oh my goodness. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the producer throws that line down and you're just like, holy fuck, right? Like that kind of shit would not pass today. Uh, I don't know. I mean, oh, what am I saying? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to defend the producer I'm not blaming the patriarchy. pregnancy on... Uh, I already yeah. got in trouble for that earlier in the fucking... Um, <laughs> well, as any person would do, she goes to this doctor, psychologist, guy, whatever, with her issues, he, the one from the news that we saw earlier, and his solution is to send her to a place called The Colony. And I was like, the place they sent Jean-Claude Van Damme and Double Team? Yeah. Remember the colony? She's about to become an international espionage expert. She's yeah. going to be solving problems for the world. <laughs> she's going to have too many answers without knowing, and she's never going to be able to escape unless she has the skills of Van Damme. No, it turns out that this is not a place where the government stashes highly skilled operatives who are too dangerous to let retire, but rather some kind of country beach community, one that happens to be throwing a hoedown that very night. Or is it a hoot nanny? I can never keep my country party genre straight. A whoop de doo? Is it a whoop de doo? <laughs> well, it does start out with some uh, banjo and guitar music. We're definitely getting some very country and folk vibes. We also have some meat roasting on a spit. Really, what this is is just a werewolf orgy party. Is what ah. we're learning. We're we're coming to. We have uh, sorry. We have no evidence of werewolves or orgies yet. For the record. I know, but I think it's implied. Like, I'm getting deliverance vibes, which is a part of this, too. You know that it's going to get country and sexual, and I, I assume that that also means very hairy. Uh, Yeah, I mean... this. Full disclosure, this community is weird as shit. There are several seemingly normal city-type folk. 
Also, a guy who looks like Boss Hogg from Dukes of Hazard, some kind of sultry sorceress and her simple brother, and also your favorite, a prophetic old guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the old guy's there. He doesn't throw out as much knowledge as I would like at this time. <laughs> He's actually struggling yeah. with his reality. He's threatening to throw himself onto a fire here. He's he's sort of done. He's feeling like he can't fully participate in life as he would like to. He sees all these young people dancing and having fun. Fucking making out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That made him the most jealous, right? He was like, because his old dong is spitting just fucking... <laughs> Dust at this point, <laughs> he can't. <laughs> he can't go uh, on. Is what what it seems like. <laughs> the, that psychologist guy is also there, uh, just to oversee Karen's care, I guess, or maybe not. We find out later. I think he oversees the the colony. Like, oh this yeah, is he, his place. Spoiler right? alert: He is the Wolf King. This yeah, beer is yes. basically named after him. He's the guy who has created this colony, and whatever he's got going on here seems to be quite a community. Although, as you mentioned, there is kind of an undercurrent here of like negativity. There's some sort of uh, futility here, where you know, there's comments about how it never ends, and I want to end it, and there's some sort of allusions to like being trapped in some kind of cycle that uh, really confused me because the last time I checked. Werewolves aren't immortal, right? Vampires are immortal. Werewolves are very mortal. Am I wrong about that? Um, I think you're right. I don't think werewolves are immortal, but I think they do live a longer life than an average human. Mm, yeah, okay. Like I think I there, there is a longer existence. And what we're kind of starting to hint at here with the old man and even with our our woman here, our sorceress lady. Yeah, what's her deal? Uh, well, the one woman calls her a nympho. <laughs> uh, so clearly... Uh. She's worried about her husband having sex with her is what I'm what I'm getting from that. But what we're seeing here is I think there are members of the colony who feel like they shouldn't be acting this way. It's a colony divided, although we don't learn that yet. There seems to be kind of a united front here, except for the old guy who wants to end it. But hey, you know who does not want to end it? Bill Neal. He wants to start it with that sorceress nympho. <laughs> I'm serious, man. He is just staring her down on the beach. But considering that the most action happening in his bed is Karen bolting up in the night when she hears a strange sound, I don't blame him. Yeah, they're not on the same page in bed right now, Karen and uh, our Neil character. They even make a comment about it coming up here pretty soon. Something about the punch that the sorceress lady, our nympho, gave him really sort of turned him on to her. Well, and what does uh, she say, too, when he meets her? He says that he's looking for his wife, and what does she say? Why? Yeah, exactly. What are you looking for your wife for? I'm right here, man. Good Lord. <laughs> Open for business. She does not hold any punches here. He's in the colony, and he's going to find out that uh, she's kind of second in command. She's number one in my books. Uh, Karen, by the way, wearing full makeup in bed, which you pointed out. Yeah, I thought that was a little weird, but <laughs> you told me it's a movie, and I was like, I guess so. But when you head to the colony and you're hanging out in the fucking woods, I think you might not throw the makeup on all day. But yeah, you know. she'll probably adjust to that quickly. That's probably her city life all right, all out right. there. Now, we get a few point-of-view shots of someone or something approaching their cabin, and despite Karen's overwhelming fear and trauma, she decides to grab a flashlight and go see what it is. But after finding what looks like a piece of women's panties, we see that the only sign of life is that Nympho's brother hiding in some bushes just furiously running out. So, you know, <laughs> nothing to worry about. Yeah, the Nympho's brother, we find out later his name is TC, I think. I don't know. Yeah, he's creepy as fuck. Uh, also clearly a werewolf. 
It is strange that she heads out there. She does take, like, the most massive flashlight ever. It's like a military-grade flashlight. It's huge. It is a massive flashlight. You could absolutely kill a guy with that, for sure. And pleasure yourself to Climax. All right. Let's just, <laughs> let's just dive back here. Um, I have no segue to this, but <laughs> the, uh, the colony's kindly old sheriff suspects that this was probably just coyotes. And from there, we cut back to the city. As those two TV reporters pay a visit to the local morgue to get a look at Eddie the Mangler's body. One small problem, though. His body is gone. The door to his morgue drawer is mangled, which is suspicious. But as the guy who works there says, he couldn't have just gotten up and walked out in his own. Or could he? Uh, dun, dun, dun. So this leaves us then wondering, where did the Eddie go? And I think these two reporters are good enough that they're going to search into it. But before we find out what they learn, we're going to head back to... Karen and her husband and the kind of events that are going on at the colony here. Yeah, she's not convinced that it was coyotes, and she ventures out again at night with her new friend Donna, looking for evidence of what could have possibly made those strange noises. But all they find is a dead cow, slaughtered somehow under mysterious circumstances. And you know who's got an answer for this? The prophetic old man. <laughs> what does he say? He says it's fucking aliens. <laughs> oh, that's true. We see the sheriff again here, too. Sheriff has a bit of a weird vibe. He says it's definitely not coyotes, though. Here he decides that it's got to be something else and maybe then we're dealing with wolves yeah that are cattle rustlers it's one or the other <laughs> so we transition to the morning the next day and karen's husband is going on a wolf hunt yeah, they're doing a little hunting trip there and while the boys are doing that we get some footage of karen's therapy it's a group session and she recounts exactly what happened in the porno booth that night but she freezes up right at the moment when she turns around Everyone there, and we, the audience also, is just dying to know what she saw. Turn around. What do you see? What's there, Karen? Karen, what do you see? What's there, Karen? But she just can't remember, and I'm like, come on, Karen, give me something here. Yeah, from all the movies I've watched, it's clear that they should have hypnotized her. If they had have yes. done that, she would have been able to get that memory back, and we would have that vision that she saw, but they didn't. Um, but we know that she witnessed the transformation of the guy into the wolf. We get a lot of the flashbacks of the weird porn that she was watching, too. They keep cutting this throughout to set tone. I didn't hear you complaining about the boobs while we were watching it. <laughs> you were real quiet. Yeah, I didn't say anything about breasts in this movie. Yeah, you didn't say anything at all. You are no. just transfixed on the screen. <laughs> um, <laughs> we didn't see any from... Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say we didn't see any from our actors, but that's not true. It's about it's to true. happen here pretty soon. Yeah. Well, at least those two reporters are making some headway. They visit an occult bookstore seeking information about the werewolves that the killer was seemingly obsessed with. And the owner of the shop is an actor we've seen many times on our podcast. It's Uncle Willie from Tales from the Crypt Demon Night. Our old friend Dick. What a classic guy. Dick Miller? Dick Miller. He's also in Truck Turner, Night of the Creeps. I love Dick. Miller. Yeah. Uh, His IMDb page must be chapters long at this point. He is, again, just a classic character actor. And speaking of characters, we get to spend a little more time with Marsha, the nympho's brother here. And he is really something. <laughs> What's this guy's deal? Like, um, I mean, clearly he is a werewolf. And also, clearly, he has spent very little time conversing with humans. We wonder whether he's going to be taking anyone out in this movie. Is he going to be turning into a werewolf and killing? And I don't know. We're going to find out soon. You mentioned red herrings earlier. He himself is kind of a red herring. I assumed he was going to, like, kill someone of significance, 
kind of not. Just kind of there. It's true. He attempts to kill someone later in the movie, and he kind of gets defeated by them, which is pretty hilarious. But we'll get to that when we do. That's fair. Now, speaking of Marsha, his sister, Karen's husband, Bill, finds himself at her forest home for some reason, and it takes about 15 seconds for her to kiss him. Now, Bill pushes her away and leaves, but, like, why are you there, dude? You know what's a great way to not hook up with a nympho sorceress? Not going to her house. I mean... That punch, that punch she gave him put a spell on him is, is how I interpreted it. And he wouldn't do it, though. He he took the kiss. For now. He walked away. On his way back, though, to Karen, what happens to him? Yeah, uh, after he's finished masturbating when he's sitting in her house, his walk home <laughs> is not pleasant as he gets shoulder mauled by some sort of mysterious creature that we only catch glimpses of. An eye blinking, some claws slashing, but he survives, and the psychologist, who may also be some kind of medical doctor, gives him a shot that will allegedly take care of any infection. But what about lycanthropy? Yeah, it's not going to handle that, because we know at this point that he is a werewolf. I think his problem was that he did off after the kiss, because I'm pretty sure werewolves are attracted to semen. (laughs) <laughs> what? That's what I've heard. No, sea uh, monsters are attracted to semen. Oh, I like that. So we know he's going to be turning into a werewolf. Like, this is confirmed. And how is that going to feel for the relationship now with his wife? What's going to Oh, happen? that relationship's over. He's all in on the sorceress. You think it's over now? And I don't yeah. blame him. Because you know who's willing to fuck him? The sorceress. <laughs> his wife's gonna, that out there. His wife's going to offer it up soon, and he's not going to be interested because she does not control the animal wiles that the sorceress can offer him, I believe. Listen, man, you know, you, you taste steak, you're going to go back to eating fucking... Burgers? I don't know. I still eat burgers. Um, <laughs> now, <laughs> we transition from him like getting mauled and then getting healed to our two sort of uh, investigators from the news company, and they know they need to come down and try to help out their friend. Yes. Well, it turns out Bill Neal is friends with those two reporters who've been investigating the killer, and when they hear that he got bit by something, the lady one rushes out to the colony to follow up. Terry? I guess. I don't know. I can catch her name. <laughs> her name <laughs> and I have to say, they are right on top of this thing. They call werewolf right away, and they are 100% correct. And if you need proof, just look at the fact that the next time we see Bill, an alleged vegetarian, he's eating meat. <laughs> they have gone out of their way, like an excessive amount to show Bill not eating meat. But it's clear now, after he's been bitten, that he's got a taste for flesh. He's got a taste for something. Hey, you know who isn't eating meat? Karen. <laughs> who offers <laughs> who offers the bill only to find him uninterested. Too little too late is how my thought on yeah. this. Yeah, so he turns her down and she says, we're just not in the same place at the same time. Things are not working in their relationship right oh, now. Oh, that is 100% true and it becomes even more true later when Karen wakes up to find herself alone. Bill is gone and she, like us, knows exactly where he is. Maybe not exactly. She might not have guessed that he was nailing Marsha in the woods while she licks his wounds and a bunch of wolves howl all around them. But she knows he's with another woman. (laughs) Uh, So they are making passionate, transformative wolf sex. I was going to say transformative both physically and psychologically. He will never be the same again after this. The fangs really come out in this sex scene. They start out as a pair of sexy humans and just get progressively uglier and uglier until we end with what is clearly a hand-drawn animation of two wolves f***ing. And I have to say, I am embarrassed at how much of an erection I had during this scene. (laughs) I'm like, no part of this should be turning me on right now. But I was sitting there. There's a bit of a bestiality (laughs) problem in this. Um, 
That's Wait, fair. <laughs> <laughs> what I felt was funny was that as they're having sex, she was on top of him for the majority of this. But even after they transform into wolf figures, the animation is of him laying on the ground and her on top as wolves howling. I don't think that that is how wolves have sex. Do you think male wolves lay on their back with a Sorry, wolf Sorry, he's not a wolf, erection? he's a werewolf. Yes, but basically in the animation transformation, they look like wolves. I mean, yes. But they but... still have more human anatomy, so it's more likely that they okay, be Okay, have you ever like seen humans. a dog lying on its back? I'm just struggling with the dynamics of wolf sex. But I guess if they started as humans, transformed into wolves, it would translate. And it's if fine. you're a zoologist specializing in wolf coitus, can you please contact <laughs> us and let us know exactly <laughs> the different positions? This I don't know why be, you're overthinking this, man. This would be my favorite contact out of all the people who have messaged the podcast <laughs> yeah. if someone has this and can nail it down i think keeping in mind this is a movie and that werewolves are as far as we know not real i would grant them the choice of any sexual position they can have lady on top there's no problem in That's fact fair. considering all That's the fair. points you were making about how bad the patriarchy is in this episode i think you'd be thrilled with women on top i'm not opposed to it that's for sure i just thought that that wasn't how wolves would make it happen I love that we transition from this, like, two of them having sex to a shot of the moon to our Karen character waking up. Well, before she wakes up, though, we see Bill kind of, like, staring at her with contrition, full of regret. And uh, from there, we go to that lady reporter who, again, is making some serious, serious headway here. Not only did she record the sweet sounds of wolf coitus from the night before, but she matches up one of Eddie's drawings that you mentioned with the colony landscape. And I say again, good job by her. The dramatic organ music here really hammers this thing home. <laughs> this is not the first time we've had excessively heavy-handed organ to tell us what's happening. But it might be the most impactful. As she holds up basically the drawing and looks at the exact landscape, we know she's figured out this is where Eddie is from. And she's going to go search for more evidence to her own detriment here. Oh, yeah. She decides to walk home through the woods, which is probably not the best idea, as she stumbles upon Marsha's house and immediately gets attacked by a werewolf. She does manage to chop off one of the werewolf's arms, though, and lives to fight another day. Although, maybe not a full day. Yeah, this is interesting. She is so horny for this story. Like, she needs to break it and figure out what's happening that she does put herself in jeopardy here. They have made this hut as creepy as possible by having bones and skins everywhere. But she does find a back room that has all the same pictures and even the happy face sticker. So she knows what's up. We have a cool shot of her cutting off the wolf's paw. Yeah. And, and then, then the effect where it turns back to a human arm. Yeah. and then Surprisingly we, decent. Yeah, it was pretty good. I actually, like, I felt like the paw or wolf costume felt a little cheesy. Like, it did feel like a human wearing a wolf outfit. But the actual cutoff and then the transformation after I thought was pretty well done. So I just wanted to note that as we see there. How do we transition from her? Where do we go from here? Well, she makes it to the doctor's office and tries to call for help. But there's a, like a tape recorder there and she's being recorded. Something's not quite right. She does manage to reach out to her male counterpart, though, who I guess is also her boyfriend and tries to tell him what's going on. Also calling for help, Karen after she happens to notice some scratches on Bill's back that definitely weren't there earlier. Now, he has clearly been caught in the act here. So Bill does what any man would do back in the early 80s. He immediately tries to gaslight her. Karen, you're really getting paranoid. 
You've been with her, haven't you, that Marsha girl? Don't lay your fantasies out on me. Oh, please, I'm not going to take that I one I know, anymore. it's all a big conspiracy as far as you know, you're concerned. You know, you don't have Everybody's one inch of backbone. Little she Karen. walks by you like a bitch in heat, you... But she bows up on him and he backhands her. Ooh. Yeah, this is a rough moment for our male character here. She knows he went to go f*** the wolf lady. Oh, God, he is completely busted on this, but God bless him. He tries to stick the landing and oh. convince her that she's just imagining it. Yeah, he tells her, no, that was there before, and she knows it wasn't. And then when she really figures it out, he drops a hard slap, like you said, and this does not come off well. She holds her face, and he immediately regrets it. He knows he's, he's fucked up here, both in having sex with the weird sorceress lady and in slapping her. Well, now, hang on. I think we'd all agree that slapping her was the wrong move, but the sex with the sorceress lady, are we really going to say that was incorrect? I mean, he's regretting it. He's lost her now, and he knows that. Um, what's going to transpire from here? Is she getting out of here? Is, what, what's going to happen? Well, we get a less problematic confrontation in our next scene as a very clunky, practical werewolf catches that lady reporter calling for help and kills her by lifting her off the ground and breaking her neck. Now, as I mentioned, she did manage to get through to the mail reporter. He hears all this happen on the other end of the phone and rushes back to the occult bookstore where he grabs some silver bullets and basically tells Uncle Willie to bill him. So now we've got him racing to the colony and Karen still looking for answers, which leads her to the doctor's office where she finds her reporter friend's body and, if I'm being honest, some pretty decent practical effects here. Yeah, I felt the death blood effects in this movie were really good. The makeup, like when they're dead yeah. already. Yeah, really, really well done. It looked believable. It looked like she'd been bit in the neck. The scene where she gets killed is actually pretty good. You can see the werewolf holding her off the ground, and you can tell there's power. And I like the shot of her feet moving and then not moving after the bite in her neck. It's a nice sequence, yeah. I thought it was well done. Um, our friend who's trying to get there, our Chris character, is pretty hilarious. They add in this random shot of him trying to gas up at a gas station. So unnecessary. There's some guys in the pump, and he tells them the movie's an emergency. There's no call. The guy comments on him how uh, he must be doing well because he owns a Mazda. Yeah, it was weird. It was like they just wanted to dig at Mazda at, like, foreign cars is what it felt like as a scene I mean, like this, the scene was padding but it was also 10 seconds long so how much padding do you need it wasn't padding in like they needed time it was in he really wanted to send a message about buy america which i thought was <laughs> pretty funny yeah <laughs> i guess so. yeah um so he's racing there we've got her in the doctor's office she knows terry her friend is dead how is she gonna get out of this shit well she's not gonna get out of it just yet because her friend Terry, the reporter, isn't the only person that Karen finds there. As, after trying to make a phone call only to find it out of service, she stumbles backwards and bumps into a gurney with a shrouded body on it. Only, that body is not nearly as dead as it seems. It rises up off the gurney, and we and Karen realize that it's Eddie. I mean, what? yeah. Eddie's back. I mean, we knew he wasn't dead, but we get the official confirmation here, and we also get a full werewolf transformation, which takes about three minutes and is at times pretty decent, but at other times very laughable. To be honest, I think for the time, they were actually quite good. It depends on the shot, I feel. You mentioned this too. There were some shots where, like, profile looks solid but when you see it head on you're like uh yeah the head on shot was worse for me for sure the profile shots of the like snout extending and the teeth coming out 
What was kind of baffling to me was that she just stood there for the three minutes and watched it happen. <laughs> yeah, she does. She kind of just takes it all in. Um, however, at a certain point, she realizes she's going to have to fight to survive. And so she reaches back to grab something, which, like, acid? It was in a bottle in front of a different bottle that you called Wolf Tonic, which is hilarious. And although she manages to throw it in his face and escape, we find that she is not going to get far as the sheriff stops her at gunpoint before she can drive away in her car. I was a little shocked at how quickly those two rounded her up. Like, it felt out of nowhere that they grabbed her and pulled her back into it. That that one felt like one of those things that was too convenient to me. I mean, it's a pretty standard horror movie slash thriller trope, which as soon as the person figures out what's going on, everyone's right on them right away. Like, they know that they figured it out, and they kind of, you know, predict that, sort yeah. of. That one was a little bit rough for me. I thought maybe there could have been a little more before we got there. There was time for growing tension, I felt like. This movie hits exactly 90 minutes, right? 91 minutes? 91, which cut the gas station scene. There's no need for it. <laughs> you got to make got fun of Japanese cars, yeah. Nah. Um, they have her. And we know that this is all coming down. They're all fucking werewolves now. Well, if we didn't know that before, we get the full scope of it when they bring her to the old barn slash slaughterhouse. And what I kind of take away from this scene is that these people became werewolves independently of one another. And it was that psychologist doctor guy who organized them into a community that could exist without society noticing. But as we mentioned before... Some of them, like Marsha the Nympho, feel that they have been hiding for far too long. She laces into the doctor with a pretty decent tirade here. You wouldn't listen to me. None of you. We can fit in, you said. We can live with them. You make me sick. Marsha. Oh, you're through, Doc. She's ours now. So the colony is clearly falling apart with the prophetic old man delivering one last piece of wisdom. You can't tame what's meant to be wild, Noel. <laughs> I wrote that line down too. Yeah. I think that one was good. The prophetic old man does sort of throw it on the table here. Clearly, they need to be the top of the food chain, right? Look at what they are and what they create. They need to f***ing moonlight and uh, then go eat humans. It's interesting because I'm not sure what's going to happen here to our main character, Karen. I don't know if they want to just eat her based on their talk or if they want her to become a part of their pack or their colony. She does not seem that interested in that exchange. And Eddie, too, though, uh, especially after that acid's tossed on him, uh, he's not looking his well, best. fuck, man. I was going to say the colony's falling apart. You know what else is falling apart? Eddie's face, thanks to that acid. <laughs> When the male reporter, Chris, I believe is his name, gets to the colony, Eddie, or what's left of him, appears to deliver some much-needed exposition and to point the reporter in Karen's direction. Eddie is basically done with this life, and the last thing he asks the reporter to do is put him out of his misery, which he does. And with only 10 or so minutes left in this movie, things kick up several notches. They definitely do, although... You say Eddie was done with this life. I think Eddie underestimated our friend Chris here. He gives him the gun back thinking that it's not going to kill him. He tells him to shoot him right in the no, fucking neck. Of course, because he thinks it, it is a regular gun. Chris has silver bullets. He Why doesn't would, know no. that. He, the, no, 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 he no. He wants to die. Uh-uh. I disagree completely. No. Eddie thinks this gun is not going to kill him. I think Eddie wasn't the best-looking werewolf already. Now half his face has been burned off. He knows mm -hmm. Karen's never going to f*** him. You're wrong. So he's like, put me out of my misery. Uh -uh. You're 100% wrong. I did not interpret it that way, but, you know, it's open to interpretation, I guess. 
You seem less confident in your position, though, after I have I'm pretty confident. Okay. He wanted to die. All right, well. Eddie wanted to die. I don't think he did, but that's okay. I think Eddie thought he was invulnerable at this point. And if then, you can't get with a sweet milf like Karen White, what's the point of living? What's the point of living? Um, so we move on, though, and Chris successfully exits the situation and heads towards the barn where Karen is being held and where he's hoping to find the body of his girlfriend, I guess. Um, and he gets there and he sees Karen sort of grappled or under wraps with many of the werewolf folk. Yeah, she's been bound, essentially, and this barn just full of werewolves. All the werewolves are there, and this reporter guy starts mowing them down in occasionally hilarious fashion. I liked how uh, one guy was like, Silver bullets fires. And then he shoots him, and the wolf guy just keels over. That was good times. Yeah, this was actually pretty funny. You get the wolves getting overconfident here. All of them start doing their slow transformation, and then Chris starts shooting them all with the silver bullets. They actually back up into the barn or the building that's holding his girlfriend's body. I think Terry was her name. Karen escapes right now. She gets away from her captors, and then she and Chris close the barn with one of the guns they were holding. And then they decide to light it on fire. Because we know the two things that can take out a werewolf are silver bullets and fire. That's right. And yeah, they are basically trapped. Like you said, Karen's got enough room to escape and she does. This all leads to some pretty awful fire effects and like these howling silhouettes. We don't see the werewolf effects like head on. But it does seem like they've been pretty successful here. Most of the werewolves are going to bite it and they are going to get away. But not so fast as one of the werewolves jumps on the roof of this guy's Mazda and they have to like shake him off essentially. Yeah, so one of the wolves escapes. They kind of shoot at it and get it off the roof and we think maybe they're out of here. Maybe they've gotten away. They're driving along the road and then they encounter that sheriff uh, who we'd met earlier in the movie and he's got his gun drawn and car blocking the road. Oh yeah, they got to kill him and they do along with several other werewolves who charge their car. Well, not their car, as they had to blow up their car by shooting it, which I'm sure you loved. Oh, I uh, fucking <laughs> shit all over that scene. Although, what I'll say about that, what I'll say about that is the shots happened earlier, and then it blew up later. So finally, at least it wasn't an instantaneous explosion. I'm telling you, it's not as implausible as you think it is every time. I want to see in real life a gun blow up a car. Once that happens, I will accept. Everything I've seen in the action movies from the 80s and now the horror movies from the 80s. I mean, if there is not a Mythbusters about this, they need to get on that immediately. There's no way that that shit explodes. (laughs) Fair enough. I don't know if about this comment, but we'll say okay for now just to move on. They do manage to get away here, although Karen gets bitten in the process. And we know what that means. As they drive away and we see that Bill is one of those werewolves who is killed, Karen says... We have to warn people, Chris. We have to make them believe. And the way that she lets the world know is fucking amazing. Yeah, this is pretty awesome. I'm like, how are they going to convince the world that werewolves are real? And then we transition to her doing an editorial on air. Oh my God, yes. As news of the fire and many, many deaths of the colony filters in, she goes on the air for the first time since she froze up and ignores the words on the teleprompter in order to deliver her own speech, one about a secret society of supernatural creatures living in the shadows. And although her news director tries to cut, before the broadcast ends, she has thoroughly turned into a werewolf live on air. And the last thing that people watching see is her reporter friend Chris putting a silver bullet in her, ending her torment once and for all. But does the world believe her? 
We don't know. We do know. Of course they don't. They don't believe her at all. We right away cut to a bar where the bar pages are talking about how all the special effects they use in movies and TV now. And uh, it's obvious that her plan has failed. What was interesting was her werewolf transformation was much more gentle in terms of its appearance than the werewolves we'd seen earlier. I agree. She looks kind of like a teddy bear, like some kind of friendly, like Chewbacca-adjacent character, not the snarling, menacing, sharp teeth. Uh, He does kill her pretty quickly in her transformation, so maybe she wasn't finished or that's something they could blame on it, but... I thought it was interesting that she did not turn into her kind of like feral werewolf self. Maybe we'll see a lot more silver bullets being made post this, but as you suggest, we don't think so. No fucking way. This movie ends with this being widely decried as some kind of stunt. And I actually like this very much. One of the patrons at that bar orders a cheesesteak for himself and a burger for some lady. And as the camera pans to the left, we see that the lady in question is Marsha the Nympho. And how does she want that burger? Rare, she says, right to the camera. And the credits roll after the cook slaps some raw beef down on the flat top grill. That is a solid ending right there, man. (laughs) It was pretty good. Is there a howling too? Okay, so about that, there is, and ironically enough, We received a request to do The Howling 2 like a week ago. Uh, His name is Chris Necht. I hope I'm saying that right. And uh, he asked us to do that specifically. And I told him, like, dude, we're we're about to do the original Howling because you've never seen this. Never. No, first time. Uh, The the sequel, by the way, is called Howling 2 colon Your Sister is a Werewolf, which (laughs) probably tells us it's a little less serious than this one. Who requests that? Chris, you said? Yes, Chris is a new listener. So, Chris, thank you for listening. And... I always love following the movies we've watched, seeing what kind of transpires in the world that they have created, and I would be happy to watch that and talk about it. So maybe that's something we look for uh, in the not-too-distant future. Well, and you also, as we mentioned, you requested a ton that you're like 80s horror all day long, and I'm very curious to kind of hear your thoughts on this compared to some of the other 80s horror we've seen, which I think means it's a good time to transition to our ratings the way that we do this, we rate the movies on a scale of 1 to 10 two times. 1 to 10 for how bad it is, 1 to 10 for how enjoyable. And the goal is to find movies that are 10 out of 10 on both scales, or what we call the Crit, Crit 20. 20, 20, 20. And I have to say, this movie held in pretty high regard. I don't think it is, like, that bad. I think it's bad in a sense. Again, some of the effects just fucking laughable compared to what we're used to these days. Joe Dante is a talented director, He's clearly working on a limited budget here, but he does some really creative stuff to make the effects better than they should have been or maybe deserve to be. And I thought that this was a pretty decent like werewolf movie from start to finish. Overall, in terms of a coherent story, there's enough there that I couldn't give it a, a 10 or a 9 or even an 8. I have it as a 7 bad. What do you think? I think that's fair. Um... There's some stuff that I thought was bad. I thought the use of the organ music was extremely excessive <laughs> and on the nose. But that's kind of an old-timey flourish, right? Like, that's yes. a, a classic horror kind of thing. And I understand why it happened, but it's leading us so hard at this point that it seemed um, that it thought we were stupid. I felt like the use of close-ups was excessive and like almost <laughs> masturbatory at the start of this movie. But it was only at the start, like you mentioned. They get away it got from better. as we oh, go Oh yeah, on. it got yeah. way better. But I felt like at the early sections of this movie, it was definitely a look at the kind of shots I can do. I and We're not super far apart here. I had it as an eight bad. 
Definitely not something that would fit into the 10 out of 10 bad for me. There was just way too much craft. I also didn't think the acting was that bad. The moment of her, I agree. The yeah, moment no, of her fair. on the couch was absolutely. That, she was bad. She out of control in that, but she wasn't bad like overall. Um, in terms of the way that the acting was, I thought both Terry and Chris and many of the other supporting characters did a decent job too. It wasn't. It was not an overacting movie in any way, and I assume yeah. that came from both the way that the script was written and the way that it was directed. Be the, I would say the direction yeah. probably more so. I, but, yeah. And I think I would like to credit Dante on that. Like, I feel like that was well done. All right. Yeah. Uh, but how enjoyable did you find this movie on a scale of one to 10? Um, so I thought the story played out well. Like, I thought that despite there being some obvious things that were going to happen, I liked the way that it happened. I liked the ending where they turned on him too. I thought the tension that was built was good and there was a good amount of sexuality without it being like, too obvious or like over the top having yeah. wolves f- under the moon was pretty hilarious and glorious i don't know how many moves we, well, how else do they do it i don't know um but in terms of enjoyability i had it as a nine okay you're a little higher than me i had it as an eight uh, i agree with a lot of the things you said there is clearly some craft in this i do think that this movie kind of takes a long time to get started and they cram a lot into the last 10 minutes now i'm not going to advocate for this thing to go longer than 90 but, like, the fact that there were, like, maybe 12 to 13 minutes left in the movie when it's, like, this guy's at the barn and all the way was there, I'm, like, fucking give us more time on that. Like, that's the big action piece. And maybe it's a budget thing. Maybe it's an, like, the effects would have cost a lot to have all the way was present for a longer amount of time. But, like, we spend all this time waiting to figure this thing out. What we do. It's kind of a rush across the finish line, and that bothers me. I also wish, and this is completely unfair, but... When I saw the guy who looked kind of like Tom Atkins, I was like, you know what would have made this movie better? Tom Atkins. Tom Atkins. Yeah. <laughs> like, if that was actually yeah. Tom Atkins, I would have enjoyed this more for sure. Um, I did enjoy this. I have this as an eight enjoyable, close to your nine. There's a lot of good stuff in here. And I have to say, I am now very intrigued to see The Howling 2. I want to know what happens next. Like, it's the same universe. What happens when people are at least made aware of werewolves, even if they choose to ignore it? Yeah. No, uh, I think that is definitely a possibility. I enjoyed seeing this. I love that you're bringing so much 80s horror into my life, and I appreciate that. Yeah, I will live and die and never understand how you, a guy who was in his teens in the 90s, failed to see so many of these 80s movies. They were on TV all the time, every video store, the horror section. You wouldn't go right to the horror section? I don't know. I guess I never, I I would on occasion head over to the horror section, but I felt like so many of those times I watched movies, it was with people who that wasn't their sort of genre favorite. I enjoy the horror stuff, but it was not things that others liked. I think I had, I stuck way too often to the- Either the leading action stuff or the leading drama stuff. Hey, let's rent the cider house rules again. Oh, my God. I I think I can play you the theme to that on a recorder at this point in my (laughs) grace. That's amazing. Oh, God damn it. Well, yeah, this is why I'm glad we're doing this. I'm glad you're seeing these things now. And uh, 80s horror, always a good time. Always a good time. How about this beer? I was about to say, did you have a good time with this beer? Because I did. I definitely did. Wolf King, um, just like the Wolf Queen in our movie, Takes what they want, puts it inside you, and uh, makes you feel warm and fuzzy because of it. And it was delicious. I feel less human for having drank this beer. I'm drunk as fuck, by the way. I don't know. I feel like my speech has steadily eroded throughout the course of this episode because we already had some drinks before this. And this 8.2 whatever, I hammered this thing, and I am drunk. And you know what? I'm a fan of the Wolf King. I would follow the Wolf King. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm joining the colony, guys. You're in. It's you're a in tasty beer, Rusty Rail Brewing. I've had a few Rusty Rail brews. I've enjoyed every one that I've had, and this is just a classic stout with that coffee oatmeal flavor, like you said. This is what I think of when I think of a stout. Yeah, I I would not guess even in an instant if you poured this in front of me and I had no idea that it was an eight point two percenter. It's smooth. Really, it really smooth. smooth. Yeah. Just tastes like a really well made standard stout. I would love to try some more beers by these guys. I, I'm all down for going to Milfberg and figuring this out. <laughs> I'd go to Milfberg if the milf was that fucking source. Yeah, okay. no, uh, listen, I'm with you, man. I am. I am ready to be mounted. I this this beer has uh, relieved my inhibitions. It's laid me down gently in the woods, and I am just waiting. Yeah, well, waiting I, for my queen. Yeah, hopefully that becomes a reality. I don't know if this is a good endorsement for Rusty Rail or not. I'm not sure. <laughs> hopefully, Rusty Rail appreciates our appreciation of their Wolf King beer. We'll have some Rusty Rail. You and I are going to Pittsburgh this summer. It's happening. I love it. I'm excited for this. There you go. Um, here's what I'm excited for. Next week, we're going to do something totally different, very unusual, uh, because next week, our our podcast episode is due to come out on International Women's Day. And so what we have decided to do is we are going to hand the reins over to our significant others. Next week, your wife and my wife are going to host this very podcast as they discuss Spice World. Oh, my God. The Spice Girls musical movie, a movie that itself is a big proponent of female empowerment, I guess, in a manner of speaking. <laughs> it is. It is. Whether it's effective <laughs> at that can be debated yeah. uh, and proven wrong very quickly. Spice World next week. We're tagging out. Our wives are tagging in. I, who knows how this will go? We'll see. What a way to celebrate International Women's Day. Yeah, I, man. I, I think that that's perfect. We're going to make sure we have a beer that matches for them, and they're going to have some fun uh, both drinking that beer and talking about Spice World. So <laughs> I I cannot wait to hear it. I, I am very I'm so excited. curious to see what happens. This is probably yeah. the episode I'm most excited to hear uh, out of our entire podcast, and we'll see what happens, and it'll be <laughs> Wonderful to listen. I it'll mean, be something, man. Yeah. You know what? The next week, it'll be back to normal business as usual. But for next week, not our male fucking Nolan stereotypical patriarchal voice. <laughs> None of that. It'll be our significant others talking. Uh, if you have not followed us on social media at the BMB podcast on Twitter and Instagram, please do. Feel free to send us any suggestions for movies and or beers into the DMs of those uh, social media accounts or send us an email at the BNB podcast at gmail.com. Absolutely. And we thank you for listening to today's episode. We hope you'll join us next week. Until then, I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And we will not see you next time on Bad Movies and Beer. Our wives will. Keep those silver bullets loaded. When the howling starts, the horror begins.